Hello and welcome to our podcast, What Makes Them Tip? Innovations that change everything, where we hear from business leaders and entrepreneurs about the moment, insight, or inspiration that made everything possible and ultimately pushed them over the tipping point. I'm Mike Strada, founder and CEO of Arcalea, where we inspire business change by introducing data science, formal analytics, and provide implementation from marketing. Moneyball for growth-oriented businesses, we say success is now a science. Stay with us, and at the end of the show, we'll share how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest-growing podcasts in the industry. And with that, let's get started. Hello, and welcome to What Makes Them Tip, innovations that changed everything. I'm Jeff, and once again, I have the privilege of talking to amazing people who are truly innovating in their particular entrepreneurial space, and we get to hear their stories. Today's guest took many years of management and executive experience to found a company that has become a leader in variable refrigerant flow HVAC technology around the country over the last 15 years. Please welcome founder and president of Encore Mechanical, John Raynall. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, we're glad that we're glad that you uh, took the time to tackle this today. Um, tell us a little bit about elect, uh, about Encore Mechanical. What do you guys do there? Encore Mechanical is a mechanical service and newly added controls uh, company that specializes in variable refrigerant flow air conditioning systems, and we sell it, we install it, we service it in commercial buildings and properties, including. Schools, government, uh, offices, banks, churches, etc. Awesome, and I know that you got in uh, in on the kind of the ground floor. You guys were one of the early adopters of this technology, this VRF, right? Um, tell me uh, a little bit about what that is. So, variable refrigerant flow uh, air conditioning systems. It's really forty year old technology born out of Osaka, Japan, uh, by uh, one of the world's largest refrigerant manufacturers. Uh, they developed the technology there and developed it and it expanded in Asia and Australia, the Caribbean and Europe before it really kind of uh, found a footing in the U.S. The uh, The principal difference between it, um, you know, it, it's a different mousetrap. It's a new embedded mousetrap. The principal differences, differences between it and commercial systems, traditional, um, we, we really, we move heat and or uh, we move heat energy around. When we're cooling buildings, we're removing heat from the building and we're putting it outside. Um, when we're heating buildings, we're either adding heat by burning fossil fuels or charging electrical grids um, um, and adding heat, or we could also use refrigerant to pull heat from outside and put it inside. The um, So the traditional systems move a whole lot of air, can, air through ductwork, mm-hmm. ductwork that might be 24, 30 inches wide by 30 inches tall, um, or we're moving heat energy around by using chilled water, which still can be about... Uh, 8, 10, 12, 14 inches uh, in diameter. Um, this this system uses refrigerant, which uh, can move about nine times the amount of heat energy by volume as compared to chilled water and about 80 times the amount of heat energy um, that would take by volume for, to, to move that heat with air. So it's, it's really kind of, um, it's really a play on efficiency as space as well as just general movement. So we're using refrigerant uh, to really move the heat energy around commercial buildings. That's really interesting. It's kind of a, uh, when, when you say it took a while to get over here to America, like uh, about how long has it been a thing here? Cause I know that you guys are one of the few that kind of really, really um, are, are specialists in this field. 
That's right. So, you know, it, um, if you imagine the uh, Americans, we invented air conditioning. Um, and so most of the stuff that we're doing is uh, 80, 60 year old technology. Uh, we're, we're certainly at this point, we're tapping out about, we're, we're pulling off all the tricks on the old traditional um, conventional technologies, chillers, rooftop units. Um, so uh, this equipment, uh, when it got started 40 years ago, and it made its uh, way around the country, you know, here, we, we invented air conditioning. So Americans, we we really knew how to do the stuff that's uh, been in existence for a long time very well. And we have a regulatory environment. Um and at that time, this is back probably 2005, 2006, 7, 8, when uh, the second and third manufacturer of VRF systems um, entered the U.S. and, and pitched their tent. Um, but if you can imagine, there's a re- regulatory environment. It's a new, different thing. It has different mm-hmm. requirements from tools and training. Um, and so it just had a natural resistance. But um, one of the things we saw in its introduction to other parts of the world is that it took about eight years for it to kind of start hockey sticking. Um, mm. It had to get past the first resistance that everybody has, whether it's because it sounds different or looks different. Um, so it has. To, there, there was a period of time that it had to be introduced before it really kind of took off. So to answer your question, you know, it really kind of showed up here in the between 2000 and 2010 and started pitching a tent and training and teaching people about it. That's interesting. So it's been around for a long time, but it's just, it's kind of new here. And that's just trying to get people to, to kind of get the word out about this, this new technology. Um, awesome. Tell me a little bit about how you, uh, what you were doing before you started this com- company. So you, you started back in uh, about 15 years ago, as I said, in the intro. Um, I know you, uh, it says in LinkedIn, you went to the University of Florida, Texas A&M. Um, you're in Texas now, right? Are you, is that where you're from? I am. I am. I graduated high school here. My family's, you know, I lived in Florida growing up at different points in my life. Um, but uh, graduated high school here, ended up going to University of Florida. My family's in Florida. Um, but when I came back to Texas A&M, it kind of gave me, you know, I came back to a state that I loved and enjoyed mm-hmm. and knew was a great place to um, have a career and run a business. Yeah. Now, you also got your graduate uh, from Stanford. I did some graduate work. I got my graduate degree from Texas A&M. I did, oh. uh, I did some um, executive education um, at Stanford. I gotcha. Oh, gotcha. And so uh, what, what did you do starting out? Like what was your kind of your first job as you were, as you worked your way up to becoming, you know, obviously a, a president and CEO and founder of a business. What, what did you do before then? What were some of your jobs? Um, so uh, between uh, Florida and A&M, I, I was pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical sales, mm. um, traveled the country. It was a great job. Um, I went back to school to redirect my career and got a graduate degree in construction management. And I've been in construction since graduating from Texas A&M. Um, I built homes for uh, one year uh, for a large nationally known home builder. Um, but I transitioned from the general contracting world to plumbing and air conditioning. And I worked for a world-class organization that's well-known for its corporate culture called TD Industries. Um, and spent a, you know, I, I got a million dollar education in my 10 years working for TD Industries and still find a lot of the people at TD are good friends of mine and have uh, great respect for them. Um, but they really, they, I learned a lot about how to uh, estimate, bid, negotiate, um, earn customers, build, build rapport with customers. So I learned a lot from TD Industries. Yeah. And then at some point you decided, 
I'm going to set out on my own. Tell me a little bit about that process and what led you to to want to start your own company. Um, I, you know, I ventured away from TD Industries for another small company uh, that is different uh, different space. Uh, they did walls and ceilings, and um, after two and a half years of that, um, I knew it's time for me to go find another new thing to do. But I actually so enjoyed my time at TD Industries. I couldn't imagine working for someone else. And at the same time, I had an old friend who. Um, was about to go out on his own and he was more of a production guy and I was a little bit more of an office guy. Hmm. So we paired up to start a company called Cowboy Mechanical that um, worked for about a year. Um, that partnership came to an end and that's when I started Encore Mechanical. Um, but two things would have happened. What Probably I wouldn't have, wouldn't have done it if one had not had gone to work for the walls and ceiling contracting business because I got to see how a smaller contracting business operates without mm-hmm. having all the support of legal and accounting. And then two, if I I'm not still not sure if I would have gone out on my own if I hadn't had that first partner. Um, yeah, uh, just to get more comfortable in what it mean, means to kind of, you know, shoot and you know live and eat off of your own killings. You know, you have to kind of you know uh, earn your living uh, in a real way. So, right. Um, so what are the what are the big differences then between say that that corporate atmosphere that you had and that small contractor uh, that you think kind of help you now in the position that you have. You the know, things that I, you learned. Yeah. You know, I took my job. I, I kind of enjoyed, feared failure, enjoyed success when I was corporate. So in a lot of ways it's more similar, um, but there is a, yeah, there's an edginess about being on your own and doing your own thing. Mm-hmm. And there's also a, a little bit bigger reward when it goes well. And there's um, a little bit bigger penalty when it doesn't. So um, there's an edginess to it all. Um, one way that kind of, um, what that kind of means more, just looking back in the last year, we we got very busy. We just had a record year in 2020. We're very fortunate for it. But for to kind of keep us going in the right direction, I had to work a lot of nights and weekends. I felt so fortunate every time I walked to work, um, uh, spend time here on the weekends or nights, given the whole crisis of the pandemic and people who mm. were displaced and all the you know food service workers and so forth. Um, I can't, man, it was an easy it was an easy thing to do. I mean, I. I I felt fortunate and lucky to do it. So, you know, if, if you're corporate, you may not have that same sort of appreciation for what mm-hmm. it means to be staying busy when so many other people aren't. Um, so that, that's a little more real for you when, when you're on your, when you're on your own. Sure. Sure. So how did you guys initially uh, go to market as Encore? So when I started Encore Mechanical, I hadn't heard of VRF yet. Mm. Um, I actually was going to do a lot of what I'd learned at that point, which was multifamily, like commercial sort of stuff. When I found uh, VRF, it was, I was actually preparing to do a project in Phoenix, Arizona, student housing project. And um, they had a, what I would say was an awkward design, at which point uh, somebody introduced this VRF concept. I went to go meet with some people, went to training, and I pretty instantly realized that this is the new better mousetrap. The challenge, I mean, that was probably my aha moment, but it wasn't my tipping point moment from success. I mean, that was just like, aha, this thing has something. What I did is I put myself on a course of about 10 years of um, patience <laughs> and tenacity and, uh, you know, continuation to do it, trying to do things right. Even when people were recommending that, you know, vary from course. So, um, but I, I knew the technology would win out uh, because of its great efficiencies. Um, it's, it's not only efficient from an energy usage compared to amount of heating and cooling it provides, it's architecturally efficient because we're doing things in much smaller pipe sizes. Um, builders can take 
four and six and eight inches out of every floor. And if you can imagine duplicating that across 30 floors or five floors, I mean, what is 30 inches of glazing and red iron um, and other structure that you get to reduce it when you use choose VRF as a design choice over the, the traditions that take much more space. So I saw the legs it had. The other thing I, I saw is I saw it coupled up with um, are being designed and developed and engineered and distributed worldwide by some world-class technology organizations. Mm. The companies you know, but you may not know that they lead the world in air conditioning now, like uh, Daikin um, is out of Japan, Mitsubishi Electronics or LG Electronics, Mitsubishi Electric, uh, Fujitsu, Samsung, uh, Toshiba. Um, these are the companies now that lead the technology. And in my time of following it and learning it and installing it, They've actually, everything's cross-merged. The American companies have either purchased um, or been purchased or are doing joint ventures. So now it's an international game. Mm. Uh, train, train distributes Mitsubishi across the country. Toshiba and Carrier joint ventured. Daikin bought American companies, Goodman and McQuay. So at this point, um, we've really merged to, we're really not talking about American companies or Asian companies. We're talking about cross-connections. Um, yeah. JCI York, a, a world leader in controls and air conditioning, they bought sixty percent of Hitachi. So um, it's, at this point, it's um, it's cross connected. The 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 Pacific Ocean doesn't separate us. Um, yeah. We're really talking about brands that are well known around the world. But I knew they had the the basis of it being uh, Asian built companies with technology behind them. They were much larger than their American counterparts before the merging. Um, occurred. So I knew they were going to be able to push this technology through. Uh, they're um, backed by great, great engineers and technology. Yeah. So uh, what you, would you say that was the tipping point then as far as like uh, um, jumping on board with that? Or did it take what? Tell me about the process of trying to get um, because a lot of people probably see these ideas or they have ideas, but it's this getting people to to get on board this early adopter. Tell me about the struggles you had early to try to get people in the market to understand you had a new product that things, uh, that things were going to help them. Yes. So, um, you know, we're trying to really be good at uh, installing it, servicing it um, and so forth. So some of what had to happen was the sales process for building owners or um, uh, representatives of um, public entities, um, to see the advantages of VRF. And so there was, that started coming about in 2009, 10. We got an early jump on it, uh, working on U.S. Army bases. Uh, they had a, um, a more traditional uh, boiler chiller setup, and it was costing them a lot. They had variable performances to the systems they were installing. Um, we were able to reduce the um, air conditioning cost uh, up front, installed cost by about 30%. And mm. then we had... Um, very little warranty exposures. They became very dependable. And then their operating operating expenses were about half of what they um, were experiencing before we um, we got involved. Uh, but even with that, in these great early successes, they were um, a little bit in between because when people hear about this technology and they want all the advantages of it, they then want to talk about buying it for the right price. Sure. And so um, the struggle we had wasn't the technology was very sound. I, I don't say we were bleeding edge technology. It was just more like a bleeding edge um, sales engineering process where the market kind of made it a little bit bleeding edge. So everybody wanted to keep getting these great promises that VRF offers at a price that I didn't know how to make happen. I couldn't, I couldn't catch up. I, I couldn't figure it out. Mm -hmm. So we just didn't sell a lot. We had to, the, the growth of our company slowed 
a great deal by committing to VRF than it would have if I'd stayed the traditional conventional systems. Um, but over time, we just had to wait for some of those low price points to have, you know, cause their point of pain. We had to wait for the developers to see like, hey, this isn't a great thing to make a highly competitive um, environment when very few companies are actually committed to installing it the right way. Yeah. Now, how do you, how do you find the, I guess, the resolve to, to stay the course, I guess, in that kind of situation when, you know, what you're trying to do is definitely kind of the future is definitely going to help somebody, but it's like, maybe, you know, like you said, everybody has these varying opinions on where your company should have gone. But um, tell me a little bit about, you know, kind of the internal motivation that you have to be able to say, you know, let's, you know, I'm going to stay the course. Um, how do you, you know, tell your employees and the, you know, the company, like when things aren't going quite that way, how do you keep everything moving forward? Yeah, great, great question. So um, you asked me earlier about Stanford. I, one of the things I learned when I went to this executive education is the difference between being a differentiator and a low price or low cost producer. And um, there's a, a great professor there. Name will come to me in a second. But uh, yeah, he, he basically kind of says you got to be one or the other and being in between doesn't make sense. So I had a sense that um, going to market, you either need to know, you need to be a differentiator, meaning you're going to try to take the price point. It's going to be a less of a consideration because people want you because you do things differently, or you got to be a low cost producer. Um, mm-hmm. And in that case, yeah, price is the thing you're selling and you're going to provide a service or a product that um, is lower price than everybody else. So I knew I was in the differentiator mode um, one and two, I knew this, these systems, their promises are great durability and great efficiency. So there's no way that, um, in my mind, you could, I could envision that you could do these things quick, fast, and cheap when they're post supposed to last 25 years and provide two X the efficiency. Mm. It, one didn't match the other. So one, I knew I was being a differentiator and that I actually saw enough of the technical hurdles of getting this stuff installed. Well, to realize like, I kind of knew that the low cost guys would have to exist and burn through it and cause some points of pain. What I didn't know is I thought we'd be where we are today. I thought we'd be here in about 2015. So it just Mm. took the market much longer than I anticipated to realize the difference between people who are committed to doing it right from those who um, are just trying it out. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And you guys had kind of stayed the course to prove that to folks uh, and, and ended up with more clients and customers as a result. Yeah. What, what, what really moved from is having to win everything in a competitive environment. So I mm. really had to prove up our value, um, despite, you know, being minimally more expensive than some of the others. Um, so we just, we just want enough work to stay in business, Jeff, um, sure. literally for many of those years, we, the top line was always marginally increasing. We we're on the right path. But probably about 2017, 18, 19, we started getting down to select list. And so then the market realized like, hey, this VRF is great, but it, it depends on who installs it is, will you know, determine your ultimate experience with it. Um, and so finally, by, after doing, doing this for about nine, 10 years, we, begot, uh, we began bidding into situations where at least select listed against other qualified contractors. And then more even recently, we've been sole sourced where some builders, developers, uh, just like our dependability and reliability to it. And so we, we no longer com- compete on many jobs. So mm. um, that took 10 years to get there. Um, mm. People get it and people are getting that the, real, the realization that the slight savings up front um, 
is minimal compared to the uh, brain damage you can cause if you just don't have somebody who cares hard about doing this right. Yeah. Were there ever moments where you, because I'm sure that other entrepreneurs have experienced this and maybe they're, maybe they're in that middle of that 10 years right now, they're in the middle point and things, you know, they, they, things are going, we're going pretty well, but they're not where they want to be. Was there ever a moment where you just kind of like questioned, like, maybe I should have done the other thing, or maybe I shouldn't. And what, uh, what did you tell yourself to just keep moving forward? Yeah. I mean, yeah, for many of those years, it was um, like my, banging my head against the wall. Like people aren't getting it. How, one, I challenged myself. It's probably more my fault than anybody else's fault. I wanted to get the message out clearly enough about um, the importance of installing this well, um, and the value we represent. So I put it, I put it largely on me. Um, but what, what, what kind of kept me going is probably just my my understanding that this technology was right. It was good, and I had several experiences where I'd lose a job for um, a little bit of price reduction, and then. 90 days later, I'd ask that customer, how's it going? I'd follow up with the customers. How's it going? They always thought it was going good. Six months afterwards, how, how'd, the job, how'd the job finish up? And they'd say, well, I hadn't finished up yet. So, okay. Then nine months afterwards, well, how did that job finish up? They say, well, it's still not finished up. We're having problems. And then at the one-year mark, I'm finding out that the manufacturers are on the job site trying to figure out how to get the job out of the ditch. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that kind of, you honestly, you just asked me what kind of kept me going. People weren't beating me on the bids and then going and doing it well or successfully. Mm-hmm. What kept me going <laughs> as a little bit. And I'm not, I don't, I root for people, other people's success. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of more of a um, glass half, half full sort of guy. But, uh, but um, I, I wasn't being challenged by people to hitting a better price point and then providing the service better than we were. So, right. um, so really, I just thought if we just kind of stayed the course, we would outlast this. Yeah. So you knew, I mean, you knew that you still had uh, the right answer. And I, I love that you just, you kept following up. I think that's good advice too, right? Like, yeah, that bid that you lost, you don't just take them out of the Rolodex, right? You keep, you keep in touch and find out how things are going. And maybe that turns into a, into work later on down the road. That customer uh, probably had 30 jobs where they awarded us 12 of the 30 and with um, after those 30, I remember sitting out at dinner up in middle Pennsylvania somewhere and talking with the same customer. And they probably had about five more to go. And they finally said, Raynal, you're doing the rest of our work. We finally get it. And yeah. um, it was, that's probably about 2015. It was really one of those things that the guy didn't realize what he's saying to me, but I came out of my skin. I'd outlast it. I, and that one customer, it wasn't the market yet, but it was that one customer who over 30 experiences realized for the 12 times we did the work versus the 18 times they went to other options that uh, we were providing them the best ultimate, the lowest cost through the insulation and then through the warranty period with the most reliable, predictable performance. So he didn't really, I, I came out of my skin that night, probably with, you know, excitement saying mm-hmm. perseverance, tenacity, ha- hanging out, um, you know, kind of won the day in that moment. So, yeah, Yeah, no, I think that's a great story. I love your story. I think that's um, just the, the persistence and perseverance is something I think that is inspiring to others. Tell me a little bit about the future. What, what does the future hold for, for you guys? What do you, what do you see happening in the next few years? Well, um, 
really one of the things that's unique about our company is that we will do work directly for GCs and owners as many mechanical service companies will. But the um, one thing that marks us as being significantly different otherwise is that we pair up and we team up with a lot of well-heeled, much larger mechanical contractors from that have a national uh, spread and reputation. Um, so right now we're, we're looking more at much larger jobs like uh, 70 story high rises um, some of the, key, most pristine hotels and office spaces in North Texas, as well as the possibility of traveling to other states um, to pair up with these um, large companies who know we specialize in variable refrigerant flow systems. So right now, um, we think there might be some more. We've been nationwide from coast to coast with the U.S. Army. We've consolidated back to North Texas. Now we're back looking at uh, traveling because we're being called to, you know, called to the jobs. Um, but we're also adding a service component that's been really beneficial. And a lot of the, a lot of the market seems to respond well that not only can we install this stuff, but we can service it. Um, fortunately, there's enough other systems installed by other contractors. Our service business is very busy. But um, in addition to that, we're adding controls to um, this. Um, I told you earlier, the manufacturer of this technology uh, they're great technology companies, uh, LG Electronics, Mitsubishi, uh, Fujitsu, Hitachi. Um, they have really great building controls. And so now we've added a, uh, another additional depth to be able to use their control systems to um, basically manage the whole building, including other air conditioning systems and lighting and so forth. So um, we're making a fuller, uh, we're providing a fuller use of the technology that's embedded in the, um, this equipment. Uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Congratulations on your success. And I think that's fantastic. Before you go, I want to make sure that you have a chance to tell folks where your website is and how to find you, stuff like that. Right. Yeah. That's uh, the name of the company is Encore Mechanical LLC. The website is www.encoremechanical.com. Encore spelled like the musical Encore, E-N-C-O-R-E, the rest of the word mechanical. And you can always call our office number at 817-416-2881. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. Glad, glad to be here. And we thank you for listening to another episode of What Makes Them Tip, innovations that change everything. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to our show, What Makes Them Tip, Innovations That Changed Everything. If you're an entrepreneurial leader and you'd like to share the inspiration that changed everything in your business or venture, please visit arcalea.com slash guest and a small request. If you've liked this interview, please help us out by sharing this episode with a friend or on social with the hashtag Arcalea. You can also help us out right now by providing a review in your podcast player and a thumbs up or rating review would help a ton. We promise to read every word and it helps us improve a little bit each day. And while you're at it, please also subscribe because every week you're going to be inspired and learn from other leaders in bite-sized increments. Again, my name is Mike Strada. Let's connect either on social or stay up to date on all things business at arcalea.com. Thanks again for listening and thank you for being part of the over 99% of America's firms that make up the entrepreneurial community. Until next time. Thank you.